Uh, this, this morning, open your Bible, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, we're going to keep grinding through our study in Revelation. If you're here as a guest this morning, or maybe this is your first time, uh, man, there's no way to catch you up to speed on uh, the ground that we have covered. But we have been going through the book of Revelation uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I believe that's the way God intended for us to learn the Bible is to, to do it book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. And the way we can understand His Word is through a systematic, expositional approach to Scripture. And so we are in Revelation chapter 6. We're studying the opening of the seven-sealed book. And, and if that doesn't ring a bell, uh, we talked about in Revelation chapter 5 that this book was a unique book that no one in this world was worthy to open. As a matter of fact, there was, there was a search made universe-wide for someone worthy to open this seven-sealed book, and after no man was found in heaven and in earth and under the earth, there stood a lamb as he had been slain, and he himself is worthy to open this book, and that lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what we've said in the last couple of weeks is that as he begins opening these seals from this seven-sealed book, things begin to happen on the earth. And so John is in heaven before the throne of God, and, and as these seals are opened, things begin happening on the earth. And what we're studying, really, quite literally, is this time period that the Bible calls Jacob's trouble, or the Bible also calls it a time of great tribulation. And, and it's the, the moment in which God's wrath begins to be poured out on this earth after the rapture of the church and to get the nation of Israel to repent, to receive their soon coming king. And so that gives you a little bit of context of where we're at. Now, Revelation chapter 6, we're going to jump right into it this morning. Let's read verses 1 to 6. Let's review where we've been the last couple of weeks and then we'll get... Uh, to where we need to get this morning. So Revelation 6 and verse 1, if you've got a Bible and you're there, say amen. If you don't have a Bible or not there, say oh me. Okay, I'm just checking. Okay, amen or oh me. Look, look at verse 1, Revelation 6 and verse 1. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. I'll, I'll read verses 5 and 6 in a minute, even though it's on the screen, because I want to just remind us of what we've studied up to this point. With each of these first four seals, there's an invitation given from a beast. And, and we studied these beasts in Revelation 4 and verse 7. These four beasts actually stand around the throne of God. And so this first beast gives this invitation to John, come and see what happens when the seal is opened. And, and, and what happens when this first seal is opened is there's this white horse and there was a man or a rider on this white horse that had a bow, and he had a crown, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And so on the screen, just by way of review, this, this first seal is open. It's announced by the first beast, which is a lion, and there's a white horse that's revealed. And, and what we said a couple of weeks ago is that many times this white horse rider is confused with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, some Bibles and some commentaries would say that this is actually Jesus Christ being revealed and conquering the earth through his kingdom. We saw that, that based on comparing Scripture with Scripture, this, this rider of the white horse is absolutely not the Lord Jesus Christ, but as a matter of fact, he is the false Christ, or what the Bible would call an antichrist. And if your Bible has Revelation 6 and verse 2 as a reference compared to Revelation 19 and verse 11, that would be an incorrect reference because this white horse rider has a bow, Jesus Christ has a sword. This, this rider is followed by death and hell, Jesus Christ is followed by the armies of God. 
And, and so there's, there's a stark contrast between these two people. And, 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 and many times when people make the wrong identity concerning this writer, well, it leads to a misunderstanding of how to do ministry. And, and there were two key things that we talked about two weeks ago, post-millennialism and amillennialism. In other words, if you think the church's job is to establish Christ's kingdom through conquering, through a social gospel and political agenda to somehow make the world ready to receive Christ, you're either a post-millennialist or an amillennialist. And by the way, you're not doing biblical ministry. And by the way, you're failing at your job because it's only getting worse and worse. Hello? I mean, if you believe that somehow the church is to make the world better through social gospel, social reform, and political agenda separate from the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, you have a wrong view of ministry. And so this white horse rider comes conquering, and we looked at verses in Daniel that show us that this antichrist actually comes into power through peace and through policy. Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 and verse 24. And so this conquering antichrist will establish his false kingdom through peace. Listen, there is no peace without Jesus Christ. And there will be no peace on this earth until Christ is sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning. And so we saw that this first rider is a false Christ. And then, and then in verse 4, we saw this second beast... And the second beast is the calf, and he tells John, come and see. And we see the second seal opened. And now there's a red horse, and God tells us that power was given to him, to him that sat upon, to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so this second horse is a red horse. And we, we ran the references last week, man. When you see red in the Bible... It's a picture of blood. It's a picture of Satan because he is a red dragon, right? It's a picture of wine. God has red wine that, that's without mixture that's about to be poured out in judgment on this earth. And so what's happening at the opening of this second seal is this second horse and its rider take the false peace that was established from the first rider. He's going to take this false peace that allowed the Antichrist to come into power. And now this peace will be taken. In other words, peace has to be in place for it to be taken. And so once it's established, it's the ultimate bait and switch. And man, the Antichrist will have no problem convincing this world that he is both the political and religious leader that will bring about peace. Because that's what we're looking for, right? I mean, you turn on the news, that's what we're looking for. We, I remember as a kid, man, ever since a kid... Man, this whole thing about the Middle East and peace in the Middle East and, and, and the Arab nations and the nation of Israel and the conflict and the political attempts and, and legislation to somehow bring about peace in that region. And not only that, now we have wars and rumors of war all over the place. The world is looking for someone to establish peace. The problem is they don't want Christ to do it. And so they're easily going to bind to this trap of the Antichrist he will establish a false peace, and then that peace will be taken. Now, doctrinally, that's going to happen in the tribulation period. But listen, devotionally, there's a false peace that the devil offers you and I now. And we talked about this last week. And listen, whatever your source of peace is, if it's not found in the person of Jesus Christ, it's a false peace. It's a false peace. Peace is a result of the Prince of Peace and knowing him personally. And we also saw last week that peace is a product of the Holy Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit. It's actually the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And listen, as a believer in Christ, even the devil cannot take the Holy Spirit of God from you. And so if you are sealed as a believer in Christ, and by the way, you are. You are. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4. You're sealed unto the redemption of the purchased possession, according to the Word of God. And so you're not going to lose your salvation, and because of that, you shouldn't lose your peace. Because you have the Spirit of God in your life, He seals you, and no matter what happens in this world, don't let the devil take away or try to take away a peace that can't be taken away from you as a child of God. And man, listen, we need to walk 
and the peace that comes in the person of Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit. And then, and then last week, we talked about that God's peace is found in His principles. As a matter of fact, Psalm 119 and verse 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And, and, and listen, man, I know I'm re-preaching last week, but it was so good, it needs to be re-preached. <clears throat> I wonder how many Christians forsake the peace of the Holy Spirit they have in their life, forsake the peace from the person of Christ in their life, and forsake the great peace which God offers through His Word. Listen, if you're not in the Word of God, and if you don't love His Word, you will not have great peace. And you will live a life of being offended. And by the way, if somebody opens the Bible and tells you what God says, and you don't love His Word, you'll be offended. Like, like we ought to get to the place, as children of God, that God's Word is the most important thing in our life. And the Word of God is, is the thing that, that brings us peace more than anything else. And the Word of God doesn't offend me, it actually comforts me, nourishes me, performs surgery in my life that I need so that I can be more like Christ. And many Christians miss out on that because peace is found in God's principles. And yet they are saved as the day is long and yet trying to go back to the world system for peace. And, and we learned last week that God's peace ought to rule in our life. Colossians 3 and verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And, and that's something that we have to allow to happen in our life. In other words, God has peace available, but you and I have to let it rule. It, it has to be the, the, the authority of our life. And if we do that, we saw last week that God's peace, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And so, and so man, in this time of tribulation, this false peace is going to be taken away and this red horse and his power is going to allow that men should kill one another. And, and we said last week that, that, listen, man has killed each other ever since Cain and Abel. I mean, I mean, man has been a murderer from the very beginning. But can I tell you that during this tribulation period, mankind is going to kill one another like no other time in history. No other time in history. It'll be a time of tremendous bloodshed. And, and if you're not saved, let me just admonish you that you don't want to be here. You, you want to respond to the gospel of Christ and respond to forgiveness that is available through his finished work. And so this morning, we're going to pick it up in verse five with the invitation of the third beast. And, and again, let me read verses five and six. We didn't read that earlier. Let me just read it real quick. Verse five. Okay. So this is the third seal that's being opened. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And so, and so now this, this invitation from this third beast who is a man, tells John to come and see. Now, let me just remind you, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 7, because if you weren't here the preceding weeks, you missed this principle. But those four beasts are described in detail in Revelation 4 and verse 7. It says the first beast was like a lion, and he was the one that announced the first seal. The second beast was like a calf. He announced the second seal. The third beast had the face of a man, and that's what we're talking about this morning, and then and we'll, we'll, after Easter, we'll see the fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and he'll announce that fourth seal. Okay, so, so we see this announcement, this invitation, come and see from the beast to John, and then what he sees is a black horse, okay? This is a unique horse. It's, it's, it's different than the, the preceding two. It's different than the one that follows. It's very unique. Okay, so, so what is the significance of this black horse. Well, based on what we've learned, and, and again, what we're going to see in Scripture, man, 
This, this false kingdom is established by a false peace, and then that peace is taken, and there's a, immense bloodshed on this earth. You could, you could say war is breaking out. You could say man is, is killing man like no other time in history. And then we see this black horse, and, and we'll see it in just a second of what it means. But I wanted to just show you that, that when you study that word black throughout the Bible, there is a pattern that's connected to famine and to dearth. And so let's look at it. Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 10. Lamentations 5 and verse 10. Jeremiah's lamentation, by the way, concerning a time of famine for Israel in the Old Testament. He says, our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible what? Famine. And so black is connected with famine. Jeremiah 14 verses 1 to 3. Again, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languisheth. They are black unto the ground. And the cry of Jerusalem has gone up, and their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits. They found no water. They returned with their vessels empty, and they were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. And, and listen, I, again, if, if you study history, it's not uncommon that after war, there is a time of famine and dearth, in, in places where war has outbroken and, and, and uh, broken out, and so and so this horse represents for us famine and economic collapse, which again history proves those are byproducts of war. They're byproducts of of of, of mass murder and genocide. Listen, these things are very real. You can study them in history. And now during this tribulation period, there's going to be a famine and an economic collapse. Okay, and, and so let's get into it. Point number two in your notes, this rider has some unique instrumentation. Okay, and, and look at verse five, and we see the instruments in his hand. He that sat on him, this black horse, had a pair of balances in his hand. Okay, he had a pair of balances in his hand. Many of us, man, in, in the United States, if you're familiar with our, our legal system or our judicial system, uh, you know, there's a woman that's blindfolded holding a, a pair of balances, a pair of scales, right? Uh, that, that, that has no meaning anymore, by the way, in our country, just for the record. But according to the Word of God, it matters. And, and, so, and so balances are scales, are things used to weigh things. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I had an uncle that worked at a uh, recycling uh, facility. He worked at a metal recycling place. And so, uh, you know, we would drink a, a ton of canned drinks or whatnot. And uh, I would get all the cans. I would get all the cans and I would take them outside and smash them. And I'd put them in these big plastic bags. And then I would take them to my uncle, you know, and he would put them on the scales. And when he put them on the scales, then he had weight that he would add. And, and he was looking for that thing to balance out. And, and the metal had a certain price per pound, right? And so I would get like gas money or whatever uh, from that. I just remember taking it, and I always wondered, man, are there, are, man, are you weighing that right? Are you, are you really weighing that right? Are you kind of picking up on the scale so it doesn't weigh as much? So I'm, I'm joking, but, but it was kind of interesting even as a kid. I, I, I understood this, this thing of balance and measure and weights. And, and sometimes in the Bible, man, that's reserved for precious metals, man. But, but sometimes it's reserved for weighing out grain and weighing out food, and so, and, and so we're going to get into that in a second, but I want you to know that God, God has a lot to say about this thing of measure and balance and weights. As a matter of fact, you would, you would think if you just study the scripture that God is really interested in how things weigh out and how things are measured and if they're measured justly or unjustly. Okay, so, so let's look at it. Leviticus 19 Verse 35 to 36, again, uh, God's talking to the nation of Israel. He says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight or in measure, just balances, just weights, a just epoch, and a just hen. Those are all measures of, of volume or measures of weight or measures of grain. He says, just balances and just weights shall ye have, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. So even this initial instruction, God says, listen, you need to have just balances and weights, and if you don't, it's actually unrighteousness. 
You guys okay with that? It's unrighteous. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, again, another example, verses 13 to 16. Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small, but thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure thou shalt thou have, for the days, uh, thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord God giveth thee. For all that do such things and that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And so God is really interested in how you measure and how you weigh. He's really interested in that. As a matter of fact, he calls it unrighteousness or an abomination if you do it wrongly. And, and again, you know how the scales work, right? You, you put uh, whatever you're weighing on one side, if it's grain, if it's a product, and, and the other side is the weight, and you're looking for that thing to balance, and then whatever the established rate per pound, per ounce, or whatever, that's what you pay. Okay, Proverbs 16, 11. And, and again, God is really interested in this proper balance. He says, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weight of his bags are his work. And, and so God himself is a fair God. He's a God that judges rightly. He's just in his measure. He's just in his weight. Listen, by the way, let me just take a rabbit trail for two seconds. Can I do that? Okay, thank you. Uh, so, so, you know, when we go out and we share the gospel with people, uh, sometimes we share the gospel with people and people would say, man, I'm just hoping that my good outweighs my bad and God scales. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they view God as a fair God, a just God, but actually they don't because they don't understand the weight of their sin before a holy God. Because the Bible tells us that we're all sinners, that we've all broken God's law, we've broken his commandments, we're sinners by nature, and we prove it by practice. And in the grand scale of God's scales, if you were to be weighed in God's scales, our sin is so heavy that the weight of that would tip the scales as guilty. Does that make sense? And without Christ, there is no way that a man can somehow work to be right with God, his good outweigh his bad, many times is, is what is said. And you don't have enough good to outweigh sin. And so Christ has to become sin for us. That's what he did on the cross of Calvary. He, he's not looking for you to somehow let your good outweigh your bad. You're just bad, bro. No offense. Like Your sin makes you guilty before God, and there's no way to undo that other than the judge himself to get on the other side of the scale. That's the only way that we can be reconciled. And so, and so God views this thing of just weights and balances biblically. And so he says that a false balance is an abomination. Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Okay, uh, and again, there's, there's some other references. So, so here's what's going on. A false Christ has offered a false peace that has now been taking away, taken away, and now he comes in and establishes a false balance concerning weight and measure. You say, well, what does that matter? Well, the thing that's being weighed and measured and distributed is food. It's, it's food. And, and so in this time of tribulation, the thing that won't be the most important resource I mean, no offense, you, you homies that are prepping right now, but if you're stocking up on gold and silver, bro, it ain't going to do you any good. By the way, if you're planning on being here in the tribulation, you're an idiot anyways. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, like, that's just dumb planning. The thing, but, it, but if you want to be an idiot and plan for the trib, you need to be stocking up on wheat and barley. You need to be stocking up on food. And here's why. Here's the key in your notes. During this time, the most important commodity is going to be food. And listen, it's a worldwide problem. It's a worldwide system that's going to be established. Many of you know that there are passages in the Bible, and it's not the point this morning, there are passages that talk about the mark of the beast. And if you don't have the mark you won't be able to eat or to drink, right? There's going to be a political structure and control governmentally of food during this time of tribulation. And listen, it's going to be so scarce and the, the scales are going to be tipped 
unjustly. We'll talk about that in just a second. But man, the, the, the most precious commodity is going to be food. And, and, and man, maybe, maybe some of you remember history class. And listen, this country has been blessed, by the way. Like if you study the history of the United States, it really has not experienced famine like other countries have in the world. Now, there was this thing called the Great Depression, right, in the 1920s or whatnot. And, and when, I think about, when I think about food shortage, at least in our country, in our context, the imagery that comes to mind is those long lines of men lined up on the streets like in New York City waiting to get soup and bread. You know what I'm talking about? Like it had to be just given out because the economy had crashed, the government policies were, were ineffective, the banks were failing, and there was global tension after World War I, and people are standing in line by the droves just to get soup and bread. The most important commodity wasn't silver and gold, it was food. And so listen, again, in our country, and as, as young as it is compared to the world, we truly don't have an understanding. But listen, if you'll just do a quick search of famines throughout history, and you're going to see what other countries and other places have experienced, and, and the totality of deaths because of that, because of food shortages and government control and government uh, having a tight grip on these things, man, all of that foreshadows what will happen during the tribulation period? And so, and, so, and so this instrumentation is going to weigh out this food. Commodity is going to be the resource that everybody's after. And then, and then point number three in your notes, we see the interruption of what's happening by a voice. Because as this is unfolding, verse 6, John says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, and he, he says something, and we'll get to what he says in just a second, but... But, but I want to just make the point, and we made it last week, and I want to make it again, that listen, while all of this is happening on the earth, it'd be real easy for someone to say, man, God has lost control. Like, like God's hand is whacked short somehow. And yet, even while this is happening on the earth, can I just tell you that there's a voice in the midst of the four beasts that actually is very present and active in this situation, and, and if you just study the, the scriptures, it'll tell you who that voice is. Revelation 5 and verse 6, it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood who? The Lamb. So, so who is the voice in the midst of the four beasts? It's Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb. And again, listen, the Lamb has complete power and control over the situation, his hand hasn't waxed short. You say, why? Why is he allowing this to happen? Well, let me ask you this question. Why do men keep rejecting him? Nobody ever, nobody ever wants to ask that question. Why does this keep happening? Why does God allow this to happen? Why do men keep rejecting him? Well, I don't want to receive him. I just want all the benefits of receiving him without actually receiving him i want health and wealth and prosperity and peace just without him okay well but listen christ is still in control he's not absent from the situation but he's active in it as a matter of fact he sets some standards he sets some boundaries he establishes the trade if you will and and, and here's what he says go back to verse six as he interrupts what's happening, he says, hey, listen, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Okay, so we want to break this down real quick. Number one, let's look at the measure because there's a couple of things in this passage we want to study. The first thing he says is a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. And so we want to talk about that, that word measure. What does that mean? And specifically in the context of, of what we're studying in the tribulation. Well, if you go back to the very first mention of the word measure, which is a good Bible student, a Bible study method, go back to the very first mention of the word. You're going to find yourself in Genesis 18 and verse 6. Now, in Genesis 18, many of you know the story, Abraham is, is, is about to receive three visitors, three guests at his home. There are three men 
that are visiting Abraham. The first one is the Lord himself. This is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ showing up on the earth, walking, visiting Abraham. And he also has two angels with him. And those angels would be the ones in the very next chapter that are going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so there, there are these three guys that are showing up at Abraham's house. And, and so look at verse 6, Genesis 18, verse 6. Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and he said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And no offense, but who don't like cake? All right, amen. Make, make some cake. And so, and so just from the context... And from comparing Scripture with Scripture, it would seem, at least in Genesis 18, that a measure would be enough to make one cake for one man as part of one meal. You guys okay with that? Okay. And and, and so Abraham made three measures of fine meal because there were three guys there. And and if you read the rest of uh, Genesis 18, you also find that Abraham dressed a young calf. He had butter. He had milk. Also, and so I'm hungry, you are too. You're looking at the clock saying, man, get this, get this sermon over with so I can go get some beef and some cake, all right? And uh, that's a weird combination. Anyways, okay, so, so that is the measure. The measure would be enough meal for a cake for one man for one meal, okay? And, and then the second thing that we get from this passage is the actual meal itself or the grain itself. And there's two things mentioned. One is wheat, and one is barley. Okay, and both of these are grains. And, and, and again, it, I don't know if you just read the Bible and kind of like try to figure stuff out, and, but I do. I, and, and so, I, you know, if you go back to that verse, it says a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. That's very interesting to me. Like one is like, okay, you're only going to get one measure. And the barley, you get like three to one. For the same amount. Does that make sense? And so it makes, you, it makes you think that one is more valuable than the other. It seems like the wheat would be more valuable and the barley is, is less valuable. And, and we're going to just stick with kind of a historical context right now. But listen, wheat, wheat has to be processed to be eaten. Usually it's beaten or it's ground into flour for bacon, baking. And so you would find things like Exodus 29 and verse 2 where it talks about unleavened bread Cakes unleavened, tempered with oil, wafers unleavened, anointed with oil, of wheaten flour. And, and so this wheat has to be made into flour so that it can be used uh, for baking. Barley, on the other hand, is something that could be consumed whole. It doesn't have to be processed. It doesn't have to be beaten. And, and, so, and so, again, it is a weird difference between these two grains and this actually shows up again in Scripture back in 2 Kings chapter 7. And, and, and so you've got Elisha uh, back here. Again, a famine is going on. A famine is in Israel. And he says in 2 Kings 7 and verse 1, Elisha said, hear, the, hear you the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And again, you see this. You see this distinction, right, between wheat and barley. Both are acceptable. One is certainly more valuable than the other. And then thirdly, what we see is the money. We see the money. And, and so what the Word of God tells us is that it's going to be a penny for a measure of wheat or a penny for three measures of barley. And so, you know, for us, we were like, oh, dude, a penny, dude, please, let's... I got like a little bit in my savings account, and I'm, I'm good. Like, this is, this is no problem. Well, let's, let's just let the Bible define necessarily what, what this means. And, and let me give you just a couple of clues here to help us. Number one, a penny is a measure of Roman money. It's a Roman measure of money. And, and it's different than a shekel, and it's different than other currency that's mentioned in the Bible. And so I want to just take you back to Matthew 22, 17 to 22. It's going to give us some insight. Look at, look at what it said. This is during Christ's earthly ministry. The disciples and the, or the Pharisees come to Jesus. They said, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? I mean, look, Jesus, look, settle the issue, man. Are you, are you paying your taxes or not? It is tax time, isn't it, man? 
Has anybody like me not turned their taxes in yet? Hallelujah, man. All right, awesome. Yeah, praise the Lord. All right, good. Allie was like, hey, have you done the taxes? I was like, ooh, uh, no. <laughs> Is it lawful? <laughs> Look at verse 18. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt you me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? In other words, look at the penny and tell me whose face is on it. And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which belong to Caesar. In other words, the tribute money. And unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went on their way. And so in other words, pay your taxes. <laughs> I'm a constitutionalist. Okay, shut up. It doesn't matter. Just, just, <laughs> just do what God said. Okay. Luke 20 and verse 24 says, show me a penny. Jesus said again, whose image and subscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar. Okay, well, Caesar is part of the Roman government that was in control over Israel during Christ's first coming. Okay, and so a penny is a Roman measure of money. Number two, a penny is connected to Caesar himself because it's his inscription on it. He was a Roman ruler, again, in, in the time of Christ's first coming. And, and, and listen, God's trying to show you something between Christ's first coming and second coming. Rome was in power at his first coming, and Rome will be in power leading up to Christ's second coming. And, and you need to pay attention to John 19. Because, because listen, man, this, this thing about Caesar... It's not just Roman power, but it's who the Jews chose to be their king. John 19, verse 15. I cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? King of the Jews, Jesus Christ. Chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Okay. So listen, the Jews made a choice to receive the wrong king. And, and through, his, through their choice, they, they adopted his currency and his political agenda and ultimately his religious agenda as well. He is a false Christ. And so, and so just like in Christ's first coming, Rome was in power. Rome will have a worldwide currency of the tribulation period. Is it the dollar? Is it the euro? I don't, I don't know. And listen, the Antichrist and the reign of the Antichrist will be dependent upon that one world currency. And whether it's euro or digital currency, it doesn't matter. It's going to be a global currency. If you've ever traveled, and, and I know many of you in this room have, man, if you've ever traveled, it, it's always that weird thing when you get into a new country, and, and the first thing you have to do is prayerfully get a, a SIM card for a cell phone, and the second thing that you need to do is exchange money, right? You have to go in, you have to exchange money, and you, you pray that you get a good exchange rate, if you will. Listen, during the trip, it'll be a global economy. But the scales are going to be tipped. And, and, and listen, the, the, the ratio of what's really just will be out of whack, man. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be a horrible exchange rate. You say, how do you know that? Well, here's the, here's, here's the kicker. A penny is probably going to be the wage... For working one day. For working one day. Okay, so Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. It is very interesting. There's a kingdom of heaven parable. He says, it's like unto a man that's a householder. He went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day. And he sent them into his vineyard. Now listen, can you imagine, and again, there's other places in Scripture, but, but generally this, this penny is, is, is symbolic or representative of the day's wages for someone, at least in the, in the first century in the Bible. It, 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 some people would say that it's even the wage of a Roman soldier, uh, that he would get a penny a day. Listen, what we're seeing in this third seal is that people are going to have to work an entire day to get one measure of wheat. In other words, if you want to eat one meal, you're going to have to work all day long. 
By the way, I don't, I don't know if you've eaten out recently. <laughs> we're we're kind of getting there. <laughs> I mean, I took my family out Friday night, and I was like, it was weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> After I got the bill, I was like, man, uh, we're going to break out the wheat and the barley next Friday night. Friday night's kind of our family date night, and uh, date night's going to be at the Casa de Shug starting <laughs> from here on out, man. Can you imagine, and listen, listen, man, again, we, we can't wrap our mind around it. The most recent experience we even have with anything like that, food shortage, you know, struggle with things like that is when COVID hit. And people are lined up out of grocery stores and lined up out of Sam's and, and people are freaking out, like, what are we going to do? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to feed my kids? And listen, in this time period, it's going to be so bad that men are going to have to labor all day long just to eat one part of one meal. That doesn't even count your family, your wife, your kids. Can I just tell you, listen, when famine like that hits, men do crazy things. And I need you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6 very quick. You don't understand the depravity of human humanity until until he or she is backed into a corner with nothing left. And in your mind, you think that you have boundaries morally and religiously, but I'm telling you right now, listen, the pressure reveals what's on the inside. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25 says this, There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score, 80 pieces of silver. And a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung. That sounds tasty. Uh, no offense when I say this. I'm not trying to be crash. But I don't necessarily know how much meat is on an ass's head. And I'm not sure how full you will get eating dove's dung. Five pieces of silver. It's a famine. And the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and they cried a woman, saying, Help my Lord. And the king, he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press? There's nothing left, is what he's saying. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And he answered, uh, she answered and said, the woman, This woman said to me, Give thy son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. This woman told this woman, Hey, let's eat your son today, and then tomorrow we'll eat my son. Verse 29. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said to her the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. She hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of this woman that he rent his clothes, he passed by upon the wall. The people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. You don't know what you'll do. You'll do what you only know to do. Resort to your sinful human nature. And be depraved. Again, man, I implore you that if you don't know Christ, and somehow you think that you will be the macho man that makes it through the tribulation through your rejection of the gospel now, you're a fool. You'll die on your sin. And there's no limit to the depravity of the action that you will take when there is no hope. Point number four. The instruction of the voice. Okay, so again, Christ is still in control. And he says, And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Man, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't have all this figured out. I do know that that phrase, hurt not, shows up one other time in Revelation. Christ is giving permission on what to hurt and when to hurt it, and what not to hurt and when not to hurt it. And so Christ is still in control. That phrase only shows up again in Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3. There comes a point in the tribulation where even the earth and the trees are allowed to be destroyed. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 to 3. I saw another angel 
sending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. And and the context of that is the 144,000 witnesses of the tribulation. And, and, And so listen, when he says, hurt not the oil or the wine, well, listen, both the olive which would have been what, what he's talking about, the olive oil, that comes from a tree. Olive trees are all through your Bible. Deuteronomy 28, verse 40, for example. It talks about the olive trees having oil for anointing. And then wine comes from a grape. You say, well, wait a second, a grape, a grape's not from a tree, it's a vine. Well, actually, God's Word says that that vine is a vine tree. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 4, all the days of his separation, talking about the Nazarite. He shall eat nothing that is made of the vine. Okay, I just want to make sure you got that. And then Ezekiel 15, son of man, what is the vine tree? And, and, and so, and so the, when he says, hurt not the oil and the wine, I, I think there's a connection to the ceiling of the 144,000. There's going to be a point where the trees are hurt, but not yet. But not yet. And again, I, I can't prove all of that. That's just speculation uh, on my end. And so I'm being transparent with you. And so, man, listen, this is going to be catastrophic. And as bad as this is, we're only in the third seal. Now, you, you would say, man, thank God I ain't going to be here. And yeah, thank God we're, we're not going to be here. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But can I, but can I make a devotional application real quick? Just because you got food on your table physically today doesn't mean that you're not right in the middle of a famine. You see, there's some, there's some people in this room and there's some people watching online and the reality is they are right in the middle of a famine and they don't even know it. And it's not a famine of, of food on the table. It's not a famine of unjust balance. Well, it is because if you go out, man, groceries are high, eating out is high, all the, everything's expensive, I know the media is not going to tell you that, that there's problems, but there's definitely problems. It's only going to get worse. Amos chapter 8 says that there's coming some days that there's going to be a famine in the land, but not a famine of bread or a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. And I'm just telling you that, that devotionally, man, listen, even though today, by God's grace, we have donuts, we have coffee, we have food on the table, by God's grace, we'll be able to go and enjoy lunch together in just a few minutes. The reality is some of us are in a famine, but it's not food and it's not water, but it's the hearing of God's words. It's the spiritual sustenance that we need more than anything else. And listen, many times, Many times, we put our emphasis on God's Word and what it can do in our life as children of God on the back burner compared to all the other physical things in this life. We're going to, listen, I don't, some of you have been around me in the mornings, I'm sorry, okay? (laughs) I got to have coffee, I got to have breakfast. It's just that, it's that, it's that, it's that simple it's that simple, but what I really need more than anything is time in this book. That's what I have to have. The, the coffee and, and the, 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 you know, breakfast burrito at Little Rosie's, number two, by the way. Get the sausage, don't get the bacon. Get the sausage, I'm just telling you. That's important, but it's not as important as this book. And man, if I'm not diligent to spend time in God's Word and to hear His Word, and, and to nourish myself from His Word, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, understand His Word. Listen, I'm allowing myself to be stuck in a famine. It doesn't matter how much food is in the fridge or in the freezer. The reality is, spiritually, I'm starving. And by the way, when you're starving, there's no limit to what your depraved nature will do to sustain you, to nourish you, Job chapter 23, and I'll close here, man. Listen, verses 11, 12. By the way, Job experienced tribulation, right? 
Job went through tribulation, and he's a great picture of the nation of Israel that goes through the tribulation period and comes out on the other side. Look at Job 23, verse 11. He says, My foot hath, hath held his steps, his ways, his way have I kept and not declined, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips, and I have esteemed, listen, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I'm not sure... I mean this for me, and I mean it for you too. I'm not sure how many of us really esteem God's Word that valuable. You know, some of us have been fasting for, for Zambia. We've been fasting on Wednesdays, and I know some of us are hit and miss. I've been hit and miss with travel and things like that. Uh, man, all you need to do is decide to fast for a day to figure out how weak your flesh really is. And all you have to do is fast for a day to understand how powerful and significant that God's words can be in your life. We have to esteem them more than our necessary food. It has to be the source of provision for our life. Man, listen, times are hard. Times are only going to get harder. I'm not going to be a liar and still stand up here and tell you that, man, <laughs> things are just going to get better and better. That'd be a lie. Things are going to get harder. At the end of the day, we have to find our true source of provision. Peace comes from Christ and through His Holy Spirit. Provision comes from His words. It comes from His words. So, Man, I want to encourage you with that. Listen, you may not go through the tribulation, but you may go through a famine now. The only solution to that is time in this book with the God that can feed you the spiritual sustenance that you need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, thank you so much, God. We, we, man, we, we study stuff like this. It's horrible to see what's going to happen on this earth. And it ought to break our heart. It ought to break our heart for the lost. It ought to break our heart to, to get the gospel to the people that are right in front of us in this city. Knowing that, man, co-workers, neighbors, family... In, in all reality, could be the very people that enter into this time of tribulation. God, help us to be mindful to, to once again present the gospel in a way that pleases you. Give people the opportunity to respond. I pray for, pray for people to get saved, God, in our city, in our community. I pray for Egapalooza, God, that, that we see people through the lens of what your word says. And one day, these things are going to happen on this earth. People are going to suffer because of it. God, would they turn to you because of that? Father, for us as Christians, God, that know you personally, Lord, help us to understand the, the seriousness of that, but also help us to understand the seriousness in our own walk every single day. Because the reality is, God, some of us right now are living in a famine. I mean, we got food on the table. We've already had breakfast. We're about to have lunch. We're not missing a meal. But man, the reality is that we are struggling in our walk with you. We don't have the spiritual strength or provision that you want us to have because we haven't esteemed your words more than our necessary food. God, I pray for the saints in the room today, Lord, that need to get back into your word. Father, they don't understand the power and the provision that you offer through it. I pray that you help them to see it through your Holy Spirit. That God, if they need help, God, that they would, they would commit themselves to be discipled. That they would commit themselves to receive counsel from pastors and from leaders. That, that, Lord, your word would have such a powerful impact in their life that it would grow them and satisfy them and equip them and, and strengthen them for the work of the ministry. God, would you do that in this place? Father, we'll trust you for that. We believe you can do it. We want you to do it. We invite you to do it. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, very quickly.